But, you know, I, I found three shows I have never played before in the 30 years or more that I've been doing the program. Uh, from the, from the old-time radio digest, you know, Charlie Summers surveyed the listeners last week and said, what are your favorite Christmas shows? And I found three or four there that I didn't know about, I had never heard before. There's one with Frank Sinatra called Room for a Stranger. That's a great show, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that will be on this week. And uh, what was the other one? Uh, 1944, uh, Victor Jory. Is it coming to anyone? Um <laughs> Well, I should just look at my Facebook page. <laughs> it's all up there, tonight. <laughs> well, well, or we can send everybody to listen to WBIA tomorrow night at... Uh, AI. And what's the website over there? Uh, org. And I think you're on from what? Is it 6 to 8? Uh, 7 to 9. 7 to 9, okay. Eastern time. Ah, uh, here we go. Dangerously Yours, not a matinee theater, a follow-up to Dangerously Yours yeah. with Victor Jory, who was the shadow, of course, in movie serials. Mm -hmm. A stable in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, is the name of the story. Uh, there are two old, rich guys at their club on Christmas Eve, grousing about Christmas, <laughs> when a stranger comes along to tell them a story of Mary and Joe <laughs> giving birth. Martin so Cable's in it. Jackson Beck and John Brown, good cast. Yep. And uh, an interesting show. And then because, you know, because it's me, I had to get one crime show on, so I went with the uh, the first Broadway's My Big Christmas show about Nick Norman Santa Claus. <laughs> and finally, oh, here's a good one, which you may not have heard either. You're familiar with a show called The Marriage? Yes. Hugh Cronin and Jessica Tandy. Yep, it's a good show. Their, their Christmas show is just priceless. Yep. She has to get a job in a department store to get to get some extra Christmas money. And what goes on in that store is just hilarious. Right. It's a great, great show. So that's the lineup on uh, on Sunday. Live in New York, 99.5. Or on the stream, live. And if you'll miss it or you're listening to something on Yesterday USA, it's in the archives for two weeks. So you can listen to it in the archives at WBAI.org after it's been broadcast. Now, when the Gotham Politics get together, do they record it or at the radio station, their 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 new drama, or how do they? No, how, we do it live. You do it live. We come in live, we, and this time because the show we did a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did it Mank, you know, Martin right. Trump's convention. Right. We did it live there, but that was back in August. We were originally supposed to do it in. The end of September, I think, and then my brother died, so mm. I got called away, and we couldn't do it then. So for some reason, everyone was available the weekend after Thanksgiving, so we did it. Uh, we did it live. We got uh, Bill Sudamac, the engineer from FOTR, yep. our new our new audio engineer, and he comes in just to do that show, uh, as do all the actors and sound effects people. So. Uh, no, uh, only once. I think we did a, a show on tape because it was too complex to do live. And that was an episode of Man Behind the Gun. Yep, that's a big... You know, the production on yeah. that, you know, we only have we only have two sound effects people, and, you know, there was so much. It was on a submarine, if I recall, uh, so there was just too much going on, and there was a dream sequence that had a dream in it. <laughs> so, I mean, there was just layer upon layer of things that have to be done. Do you, Steve? Live, you make a mistake and it's out there. <laughs> Do it on recording. 
it's never perfect enough. And, you know, yeah. you, you work on it for hours, days, and weeks after you tape it <laughs> to try to achieve perfection. So there's a downside either way you go. Oh, I like doing it live because I feel more relaxed doing a show live than I do on tape. Yeah, yeah. You know. There is a, a special something about it live. Yeah. I think the audience appreciates it, too. So do you, Steve, re review the script ahead of time, or do you just put it in Steve's hand? How do you determine what you're gonna, you guys are going to wind up doing for the Gotham yeah, You know, they call me the producer. That means I have an outlet where we can perform. Okay. Steve does all the heavy lifting. Okay. Steve picks the scripts. Steve casts the cast, uh, arranges the schedules. Uh, and I, my main function is, you know, I do, I do the recorded effects mostly. Mm -hmm. You know, if stuff is on the uh, on recording of some sort. I get to push the buttons, <laughs> and you know, sometimes our music, Mike Mandel, who does our music, sometimes he can come in live. Other times he pre-records the music, and mm -hmm. I drop that in as well. So if it's a recorded effect, that's my job. I have two live sound effects to handle the live stuff, and of course, a wonderful cast of actors. And how many, how many years have the Gotham Players been around now? Yes, it must be 20 at this point. Wow. Originally, there was a club called the Manhattan Radio Club. Uh, now I can't think of the man's name. Um, Paul, third, Paul, The yeah. third Jack Packard. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Bob Dryden. Bob Dryden. He yeah. was a regular member of the club. He okay. He was all the meetings. And uh, from that group... You know, they just wanted to put on a show, so they they, they arranged one. And uh, the, over the course of the 20 years, the group has become, of course, much more professional and much more polished at what we do. And now, you know, some of the earlier shows <laughs> mm -hmm. sound very much like amateur productions, let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, lately, I'm very proud of what we do, especially doing it live. You bet. You know, in the old way. Some of the people who do modern stuff want to go out and take a tape recorder and take the cast out into the woods and <laughs> do it like it was a movie. We do it like it's radio in a studio with tricks. When we did Chicken Heart, oh, we had a lot of fun trying to figure out the sound of a plane crashing into a giant protoplasmic blob. <laughs> you have room for an audience? Do, do you have, is he the studio equipped that people can sit, in, sit down and watch? Or is it standing room outside of the studio, uh -huh. maybe 10 people, but uh, it's not, we don't have a, uh, a space for an audience, really, it's a radio studio, but it, it is uh, surrounded by walls on three sides. So you don't have the one acre theater handy to, to do it over there? No, no, our most <laughs> ambitious thing, besides doing the uh, inventions, we did, uh, Lincoln Center had an outdoor performance series in the summer, and we did two shows. You know, back-to-back, -back, wow. outdoors one time. Someone just reminded me of that show. Apparently, there was some glitch in uh, Mike's keyboard, and it would just keep saying, Pictionary, Pictionary. And that went out through the whole, <laughs> the whole broadcast. <laughs> but we needed his machine for sound effects and music, so he couldn't turn it off. Ugh, that was unfortunate. I'm sure we did We did at least one of those two shows over again in the studio, though. Paired <laughs> with a bigger audience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what you got planned today, Max? You're going to be able to sleep in a little bit after working all night? Or what, what, oh, that's, yes, that's my plan. Yeah. Do a little last-minute Christmas shopping. <laughs> Get that done. 
And then I have to work from 7 p.m. until 6 a.m. Christmas Eve into Christmas morning. Because uh. I forgot to take it off in time, and half of the staff is on vacation. So <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't get out of that, but I said, look, I'll do that, but I'm not working Christmas night. Uh -huh. I, my usual schedule is Monday and Tuesday for 11 hours. So I got out of Christmas night, and Thursday I'm having an operation to get rid of my cataracts. So I will be out of action for another week after that. I'll continue, of course, to produce programs, but I won't be going to work. <laughs> but the new year will see me with, you know... New vision, Dave. You know, like I haven't had for ten years. Hey. You'll be dangerous again, Max. You'll be able to hit the road again with, with a good idea. I can learn to drive. Well, they, already, they did one in October, so okay. I already know... You know how great it is. Yeah. I have no idea how bad my my eyes were getting until I, they fixed one of them. Wow. So you know, I mean, the difference is just amazing. True. So I I couldn't wait for them to do the other one. Perfect. Perfect. So, but you know, it's a it's a fairly minor operation actually. Give you a list of things you can't do for a week, like <laughs> lifting, bending. <laughs> they don't want they don't want the lens to pop out after they throw it in. Or oh, I agree. In there. I agree. Well, Patricia, you have any trivia question over for over there for Max? Oh no, I'm for, terrible at trivia. For Max, are you kidding me? All right, let me see what I got. What <laughs> do um, we get Max on Max, the Max, do you have an area of expertise? You have an area of expertise, Max, that we she can look up. No. No, no, no. I, I that I can avoid. Not comedy. I'll tell you that. I'm just, comedy shows. I'm not. You know, sitcoms go only so far with me. I prefer drama. Really? Huh. Oh, yeah. All right. The well, exception of maybe in that Benny case, I'll Fred ask Allen. you a comedy Fred question. Allen, I think, is... I'm just kidding. Just brilliant. <laughs> Henry Morgan is another person I think was brilliant. He was good. And he's another one who um, got away with so much. Let's see what All right, Patricia... are you ready for this one? Here's a goodie. Uh, well, probably not, but... <laughs> All right, I just... Hold on now. Tonto's horse was named Scout. Oh, my. That was not the original name of his horse. What was the original name? <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Oh, good. Okay, that's one down. Um, you, know, you know, my first time on the radio... Uh-huh. mentioned W-O-R-V-R. Uh-huh. I called them to correct them on a Lone Ranger question, <laughs> and they put me on the air. I uh, forget exactly what they got wrong, but it, it, I think they were talking about confusing the TV show and the radio show, so I called to set them straight. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, about that? All right, I've got too many comedies here. Let me see. Okay, who owns a dog named Bullet? All right, it's not Sergeant Preston. Nope. Uh, Bullet, Bullet, a dog named Bullet, who had a dog? Oh, I think you've stumped me again. Oh, that's good, that's good. Okay, I'm feeling better here now. Like I say, um, Alrighty. I hated it too. He used to make up, he used to ask questions and then not give the answers. Yeah, but that's not that's good. Okay. Great read. The Green Hornet was the publisher of a newspaper in his real life. What was the name of the newspaper? 
Ah, this one I know because I just watched the serial. The Daily Sentinel. Hey, Excellent. There you go. Good job. You are too cool. <laughs> and I even didn't even give you comedy. Oh, go ahead. You can you can try one, but I I make no guarantees. <laughs> you you want to do a comedy? Course. All right, we can do this. Made a too. show ever on the radio. Oh, another Vixen Shade fan, Patricia. Did, I missed that. Say that again. He's another Vixen Shade fan. Oh, no. Really? Greatest, greatest show ever on the radio, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh, Max, you know, I've listened to probably three of those things, and my, my brain said, Patricia, just stick with stuff you really like. <laughs> All right. Here's one, to, here's one to listen to. Here's your assignment. All right. The little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy. If that episode doesn't co make you fall on the floor laughing, or here's another one. Uh, what is it called now? Grand Old Lodge Lady. <laughs> you familiar with these titles? No. Well, the, the, the little pheasant one. Vic is all proud and all pumped up because he's going. He's been invited to lunch with his boss, Mr. Bullard, and the head executive of the United Kitchenware Company. And they're going to eat at the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy. The problem is the restaurant is so small, they can only get three people around the table. So he has to go on a stepladder outside the window and eat through the window. <laughs> <laughs> the last line of the show is uh, young Rush, who says, uh, uh, Gov, I looked outside. It's raining, Gov. It's raining pretty brisk. <laughs> All right, so I have to rethink my stand on second say here, huh? And, and Grand Old Lodge Lady is all about a missing piece of the newspaper because Vic has caused to be published something about Sade, referring to her to her doddering, her tiny doddering steps, as if she was ninety years old, and he doesn't want her to see what they wrote about her in the paper. <laughs> he repeatedly says throughout the episode, "Produce the clipping, Vic. Produce the clipping." <laughs> <laughs> the repetition—it's uh, it's, just—it's brilliant. And the actors, I just—you know—they are the characters. It's just brilliant. Of course, there's some clunkers as well, but you know. We have a listener in Chicago who is just so enthusiastic about Vic and Sade. He's listened to the series I don't know how many times, and he asked me if I could send it on a separate unit, you know, like separate CDs, because he needed to listen to it again from start to finish, Max. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because when I started collecting and getting them, there weren't that many episodes available. And, you know, a lot of them didn't even have dates. So, yeah. you know, there was no rhyme or reason. You think each one is a standalone episode until you get, you know, now they've found at Library of Congress and other places uh, enough continuous uh, or sequential episodes that you get a better idea of what it was like. And, you know, there were actually threads sometimes every week that, yeah. uh, you know, would run uh, a little more every day. So it wasn't as unconnected as it may seem to listen to random episodes. So that was one thing, you know, and I have not even listened to all of the ones that have been, you know, discovered in the last ten years. I have them here, but yeah. I haven't gotten around to listening to a great many of the newer ones. I think there's over 300 out there now, considering oh. what it was years ago. Sports. Yeah. And our group managed to put together a lot of the ones that hadn't been out before. Yeah. 
I don't know. I guess the, most of them have made their way out now. I'm not sure, but I think so. But I did, you know, at one point, I noticed there was a large number of new episodes. And <laughs> even more after that. So they, they got out. Yep. Now, well, are there any radio shows that you think I might have that you would like? No, I just wonder, you know, where are they coming from? Because, you know, MP3s are fine for listening at home, but to broadcast, you know, I like to try to get a better source if possible, and I don't know where all this stuff is coming from. You know, I, knew, yep. I, used, to know, I used to know a lot of the dealers, and I knew when new stuff was around, but yep. you know, can't keep up anymore. Don't know where stuff originates. I don't, you know, I wonder if because, Max, more and more transcriptions are popping up eBay, and it's not like the, the traditional routes that we would used to think all of them came from. So maybe a transcription pops up and some other person picks them up and releases them. I mean, the only way sometime it happens, I don't know. Yeah, well, you, you know the old-time radio researchers group? Yep, yep. Yeah, they buy up discs and buy up collections and buy from dealers and make things available. You know, one of the problems with both a blessing and a curse of the MP3... It made, you know, our hobby more accessible to a lot of people right. who may not have heard about it or known about it before, but it also, in the early days, everyone wanted to make the files as small as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Not every ounce of sound quality. Yeah. Now, I've heard series uh, a year or two ago, I wanted to run Jungle Jim on uh, on yesterday USA. Oh, yep. dear. Oh, my. And I yeah. went to my reels, and they were, you know, not that great. So I went on to the, you know, I think archive, and someone had a very lovely, beautiful sounding set of Jungle Jim, except that there was this digital noise every 10 seconds. Oh. Just, you know, and, and, and they took these straight off the disc recordings and ruined them. And they're still the ones that seem to be in circulation now in the MP3 world. I haven't seen a different set that doesn't have this problem in it, and it's on every episode. I wound up getting my hands on the Rachel Master tapes, and I had a uh, Jerry Burling transfer them, and I think I think uh, Larry Gassman got my uh, my set. So just in case you ever want to run them, Max, Larry's got Larry's got a set of probably the best copies out there at the moment. You know, I talked to Larry a little while ago. Yeah. And I had sent him interviews that I did. He's telling me interviews that I sent him that I don't have in my collection. <laughs> Archives, things I had even forgotten that I had, you know, people I spoke to that I forgot I ever talked to. Yeah. Of course, he doesn't know where they are, and they're not digitized, so, you know, maybe someday I'll hear them again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one day, mm-hmm. back when BAI was more adventurous, shall we say, than they, than they are now, mm-hmm. they gave us a whole weekend or a whole 24-hour period to program a day of old-time radio. Wow. So we did soap operas in the morning, and we did kid shows in the afternoon, but it was also around the time when the book Wixie Wonderland came out. Oh, yeah, with the guys, good, yeah. Yeah, and Ernie Winstanley had been at the convention, yeah. and he was still in town. Right. He came with a bunch of uh, a- actors from WXYZ, and they basically just took over, you know, for an hour or two. Now, those tapes are somewhere in a box here. I haven't heard them since it was on. And mostly while it was on, this was also when Jack Shug, I had this partner called Jack Shug, <laughs> mm-hmm. quite a character, mm-hmm. and he was on the air holding court, and I was off, you know, trying to produce the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, it was very much, you know, like 
this is finished for the for the next hour. Now I got to go work on the uh, hour to the two o'clock hour. Sure. So he was having all the fun, and I was doing all the work. But we did air check most of the day. But it's something that I, you know I need to run off before the real the real machines stop working forever. Yeah. Well, that'd be fun to hear, you know, because, you know, Ernie Winston, he's been gone for quite a while now, so it'd be fun to yeah, put him out there. Yeah, 86. Yeah. For people who try to say he was, he was uh, one of the original Dan Reeves on the Long Ranger show, and that's the famous name from old WXYZ. Yeah. And I think he wound up, after his voice changed, he wound up being part of the sound effect crew over WXYZ. Now, at that time, we we set out to interview anyone we could find from WXYZ, and you know, we ended up in, um, why do I want to say Mike Douglas? No, look at the guy on the 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace, yeah. We went up to his office and talked to him for 20 minutes. Hmm. Now, I think, that I hope that's one of the tapes, I don't have it anymore, so I hope that's one that, uh... That where he's got... Sent to Larry. Okay. But, uh... You know, we, that, that's how we got the opening. That's how we got Fred Foy to record the opening that I use on, you know, on all my shows. Mm-hmm. With the variation, we went, to, we went to interview him at ABC. He was the daytime announcer, and he would, you know, his job. He had this little room, a little announcer booth, and every 15 minutes he would hold his hand to his ear and intone into the microphone. Next, and that was his job. <laughs> Tomorrow. That's all he did. And then we we interviewed him for a while, and then 15 minutes later, he would go on and say whatever it was he had to say. And uh, we got him. Jack wrote out that introduction, and we were recording on newfangled 120-minute cassette tapes. Uh, Remember that? Yeah, I sure do. And how flimsy they were. Yes. So Jack. Get, we get back to the car, Jack has to hear it. He puts it in and the tape jams. Yep. Crimps all the way through that Fred Foy section. So what you hear that I've been using all these years was actually from a pretty damaged tape. So <laughs> we had to use it because we didn't have another take. Oh, dear. And there you have it. The story of the opening of the Golden Age of Radio. <laughs> Well, perfect. Well, Max, I guess we'll let you loose. Okay, yeah, I know. There's, isn't there a schedule here that we're not conforming to this morning? Oh, no, I, I, uh, I, you know, as long as I get off before Bill turns on the automation system at, uh, 9 o'clock in the morning Eastern time, I think we'll, I think we can get out and play. You never know. Oh, okay, well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. So are you signing off, or you've got some Christmas shows? I don't know what Patricia got playing. We'll probably see Team York p- well, uh, point, point calling. We got we do have a film year Molly on the schedule, but it depends on what we wind up doing. Who knows? Now, is there one line? Is, am I taking up the only line? Yeah. Uh, right now, the way we got we got set, we just go with one line. We, there are some ways we could go with mobile line, but I traditionally always like we uh, Patricia's sake we go with one line. Cause if not, I think I think it would uh she would say Walden. No, 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 Right, Patricia? Uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out Skype. We have it at the station. You know, the flood. Sandy knocked out all of our phones. We still don't have our regular phones back in. Oh, man. 
and we went with Skype for a while, and we have uh, some hackers who do a program, computer hackers, and they rigged it up so that you could take multiple calls. I don't know how to do that. You can take, you, yep, you can take up to 25 calls at once. Yeah, yeah, so they rigged that up, and then we put in some kind of uh, Fios. They used the, the, the fiber optic thing and put in a different phone system, so at least, you know, we can fundraise. Right. Nothing else. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, All right, well. Terrific, Max. Well, thanks for giving us a call. Thank you for the last uh, period of time. Thank you for giving us a call. We appreciate it. I'm glad right. Glad you're up and about. Yeah, well, let's see. I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, doing other things. <laughs> <laughs> I heard my name. I had to call. There you go. All right. There uh, you nice go. speaking with you. Same here, Max. Good night. Good night. Take care. Or good morning, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. There we go. Walden? Yes, Patricia? I'm having a weather crisis. Okay. It's 37 degrees. Oh, no. That's what it says. And I'm here to tell you it sure feels like it. It's dropping a tenth of a degree every couple of minutes. That's not fun. No, there you are. Under you. Yeah, I just need to point out, as long as we're talking about Vic and Sade, my favorite Vic and Sade show is called Clocks. And that was, has to do with uh, Vic's uh, uh, obsession about alarm clocks and hammers. <laughs> and uh, okay, from back when I heard it in high school, I have never forgotten that show. And I finally got a copy of it um, a few months ago because I remember hearing it in high school and, and knowing exactly how he felt. You know, he just couldn't help, you know, attacking the alarm clocks with the hammers. And of course. He has to replace the clocks. <laughs> of course, he's trying to talk Rush into buying the clocks to replace. <laughs> and, you know, and Rush doesn't want to do it, obviously. And uh, so, but I understood that exactly. <laughs> so that's that's my favorite vacancy. So we're going to have to keep a list of these things. Yeah, yeah, that one, that's a great show. Well, Louie, Louie out there in... Uh Mean you're gonna have to supply us with some Vixen Save material sometime for next year. You never know. I, I'm still threatening I need to get Barbara Schwartz on the station, the president of the Vixen Save Band Club, and she can give us some more insight. That that might be good. Oh, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I think, like I said, yeah, I think there's what we should do. Maybe is is get together some of these. If we could kind of find out what what the people's favorite shows are. You know, because mm -hmm. because with all these shows to listen to, and especially with Vic and Sade, which is so, you know, strange at times, we ought to get people to, to say, well, this is the show that I like, and then, you know, try to find the specific shows that, that stick out for people that like that one about the, the guy eating out the window at the mm -hmm. restaurant, uh, which, you know... I, I see you remember that one, Max, that pointed out. That, that definitely rings a bell to me after he described oh, I, that. Yes, I, I remember that show. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because he comes home and he's trying to explain to, to, to say how this is still an honor, but yet he's eating on a stepladder out the window. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just had to call back in because that, that's my favorite show. It's, it's, and, of course, it's Christmas, so it means that it means that you know people are getting presents and stuff, so clocks and stuff are going to be are going to be given out. So somewhere, some somewhere, there's some 
some guy going, oh, I'm sorry, I've I got to have that clock and hand me the hammer. <laughs> so, Especially it's a cuckoo clock, right? No. No. Well, alarm clock. Alarm clock. Alarm clock. How, how they're supposed to, they're, you know, they're supposed to pick through anything. That's true. Well, he hasn't found one yet that can <laughs> survive his hammer. Perfect. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Take care, Kurt. Bye. Bye. So what are we going to do with you, Patricia, at 37 degrees? Um, the only difference between me and a bear yeah, is that I get up to eat a little bit more frequently than the bear. <laughs> I want to stay in my little cave uh-huh. and not come. Can you imagine 37 degrees? No. I think that's illegal. That's only, that's only five degrees from freezing, Patricia. You might, know. you might have a white Christmas this year. Oh, no. And. Yeah. Oh, oh. And. Yeah. Wait, let me get down to that part of the page. Wait, wait. And the humidity is 99%. So there's definitely stuff out there. There's stuff outside. It's, it's. It goes down a couple of more degrees. And there it goes. See? When, when I said it goes down. A tenth of a point every couple of minutes. Yep. It just went down two tenths of a point. So you might be seeing White Christmas here in a couple of days. Oh gosh, if it gets down cold enough and it's ninety-nine percent humidity, it's ripe for a snowstorm. Yeah. We're gonna have snow. Well then. No. How can that be? No. You're gonna need to come out here for Christmas then. It's going to be too cold for you to live in Florida. Well, you're already bundled up in seven I layers. know. <laughs> but I think you take my temperature over yours at the moment. Well, let's see what yours is before we jump to it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Let's see. Costa Mesa. It says 55 degrees. Yeah, you're in better shape than I am. Yeah, after 18 degree difference. Boy, oh, boy. This is scary. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. You can give us a call and and let us know where the temperature is above seventy five degrees, and we'll be right there. There you go, Hawaii. Here we come. <laughs> Poor Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Did we ever square away a bedroom with him? Uh, we haven't worked on that yet. We need to get. We have not. Okay, so we have. We we need to get a bedroom. We need to maybe we can work that out on. Uh, Either we'll email Gail or work at, or work or negotiate that part of our contract for next year. Uh huh. Wow. Well, we've got prizes coming up this week. Christmas prizes. That's true. And except that the phone was ringing so nutty tonight, we probably could have started tonight. But we really do have some special stuff. I'll go over the list with you, and then we'll just pop up with them. One at a time Alrighty. during the week. That'd be you think? good. That'd be good. Yeah, we got some good stuff. That'd be good. So, what would you like to do? Well, we can do some of your questions. We can do some shows. We can do anything we want. I'm in the mood for. Remember, I swept into eleven fifteen. So, right, row. So I'm good to go. So you determine what we need to do. Right, row. You're there forever? Uh-huh. Oh, my. All right, let me see where, where we've got Walden's questions. Okay. All right. Oh, you know that answer. 
<laughs> well, you do. You have so much faith in me. Well, I'll, I'll ask it, and you can prove that I'm right. Okay. 1946 movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I'm yes. looking for information about It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Hmm. Silly me, right? Right. In the movie, a gym floor, gymnasium floor, opens up, and there's a swimming pool underneath it, right. and they fall into the pool. Mm-hmm. That was a real pool. It was not part of the created set. Where was the scene shot? It was shot in California. Right. Um... Ooh. I don't think I know. It was at the Ushuaia, uh, 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 L.A. Olympics, uh, Olympic Center, Quadrant Center. No, it, it was. They, they went to a class reunion, so it right. was in a school, and it was a real school. And my gosh, this is a a piece of engineering genius. It's Beverly Hills High School. Ah. Uh. And there is a pool that's still there. The pool is still there today. You know what else, what else you know, Beverly Hills High School is known for? No. It has, graduating a lot of people. That's true. I think it has its own oil wells on the school property. Well, man, if they've got a pool underneath the gymnasium, why, why wouldn't they be able to have oil? Yeah. <laughs> Beverly Hills is Beverly Hills because you've got <laughs> oil wells there, right? <laughs> Oh my! I, I don't think oh. I don't think they're hurting for any money, Patricia. Oh my! I did not know we shot Beverly Hills High. Well, that's I checked a couple of different sites, and even Turner Classic Movies had this one, so I be I good. believed I believed oh, yeah. them. Do you think it was okay? Oh yeah, I I bet you as much as much as that movie's been researched, I bet you that right on the button. There were a couple of sites probably stole information from the original and just mm-hmm. repeated all over the place, but there are a couple of lines in the banking scene where George storms out, mm-hmm. and there are two almost silent lines in there that with the volume turned way up, you can hear them. Mm. Now, I don't know if this is something like you can hear, hear the devil when you play the record backwards right, type thing. Right, the backward bastard thing, yeah. Yeah, there was a line that George was supposed to have uttered, you've embarrassed me in front of my son. And there was another line that Mr. Potter said, and it was consistent with what his lines were at the time when he was telling George, you know, you'll never work in town, that kind of thing. He was just being really mean. And George had refused the, the money. But those two lines were supposedly buried in there and you hadn't been able to hear them wow. so if we can't hear them why are they there good point do you think it's somebody's imagination uh i have an open mind i know you do you're really good that way yeah, yeah all right i'm yeah. going to give you a presidential quote i'll like this one mm-hmm. which president said once you get into this great stream of history you can't get out that's a great line. Ronald Reagan. Nope. Go one more and then I'll tell you. Jimmy Carter. Nope. It was Richard Nixon. Um, Boy, would be right. Yeah. Great line. I wonder, 
I wonder where in the events that unfolded during his administration he said that. Um, my guess would be after some of the conflicts of Vietnam. And it might be in the second term. Hmm. And before Watergate. That'd be my guess. I, it, it's so appropriate anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in his presidency, there were so many points that it would have been oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. It would have been perfect in the middle of Watergate, but this is not the kind of line he would have ever uttered while Watergate was burning. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He would probably like to have it done during the... Uh, uh, during the either his visit to China or uh, the ping pong diplomacy, probably he'd been happy that history would have stopped there for him. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. It seems like the way it's worded. Once you get into, as opposed to when you get into mm-hmm. a stream of history, he said once you get into this great stream of history, it was contemporary. It was something that was going on at the time. Yeah. At least that's the way it reads. Mm-hmm. If we don't know where it is, how can I how can I know that that's when it was happening? But it seems like it was a, a contemporaneous mm-hmm. comment mm-hmm. that about something that was going on at the time, and it yeah. certainly would have fit so many different places. But wow. I can't imagine that around Watergate he would come out with something that would sound so incriminating. Yep. Yep. Hmm. And I don't remember. I wonder how many press conferences he even held during. The beginning of Watergate. I bet eventually he just buckled down and wasn't trying to leak anything out there for a while. No, he was, he was really in hiding. Mm-hmm. How was he on press conferences to begin with? Did he have them re- re- I don't know, remember. Relatively regularly. You know, I he didn't seem to be one of those that have would love to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he, he didn't have... Warm, fuzzy feelings no. about the press corps. So he was not FDR, who had him sometimes. I think twice a day, at least once a day. <laughs> and he oh wasn't. My. He wasn't Kennedy. And you know, Reagan started to not do him a lot. Partly, I wonder if it was a hearing. It was an issue with, with Ronald Reagan. Um. You know, and let's face it, Barack Obama did quite a few the first two years. The last year or two, there was hardly any at all. So, yeah. it's just, it, it really comes down to, I guess, the comfortability of uh, working with the press. And Nixon certainly didn't didn't have a, a really great relationship no. with the press. No, And it's his own fault. You know, it wasn't... You can't stand up in front of a group of reporters and say you don't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore, yeah, true. and and expect them to come away and say, "Gee, wasn't that a great conference?" Yeah, yeah, that's true. Doesn't work that way. So he he really did it to himself. Um, I don't know. Anyway, he's the one who said it. All right. All right. So what else do you want? How about my um, baseball question. Ooh, okay. Who set the record that still stands today for the longest distance throw? Not pitch, throw. Well, I'm wondering if they're claiming the one done at the LA Coliseum when Duke Snyder threw the ball outside out, out of the stadium. 
Did he really? Yeah, I think so. One of them did. It was, you know, during the exhibition, and they, and they, you know, during before the game, and they were trying to show each other harm, and one of them threw him out, out, of, out of the stadium, or almost tried to. And then screwed up his arm, of course. Wow. Well, according to this, and I'm, I'm getting my information from what looks like a reputable site mm -hmm. this time, uh, and everything on the Internet is true. Of course. In 1957, according to this, there was a major league player named Ed Glenn Edwards Gorbeau. He was a Canadian who was playing in the majors, and he threw... And this is throw the ball before it hits the ground, you know, from, from the time it leaves yep. his, his hand to the time it hits the ground. Now, this doesn't include balance. Right. 445 feet, 10 inches. He must have played in one of the big Detroit or one of those places had a gigantic center field or something in order to get the, have made with that. that. That's yeah, amazing. 445 feet. It doesn't say where it was. So, well, by then the I, I guess it could have been outside the stadium. Well, by then the pole ground I think was torn down, and now like now like center field was 480 feet, and Detroit was like 440 feet from you know from the wall to home plate. Yeah. So it's got to be one of those types of ballpark who had a, a a deep center field or deep center left or center right field. Well, and, if they were if they were inside a park, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, the the previous record was set in 1956. It doesn't say by whom, mm -hmm. and it's it, it bested it by nine inches. <laughs> and when you get something 445 feet long, can is it's just mind-boggling that nine inches could make that kind of a difference? Yeah, and how many people were that accurate to measure at that? On I the, don't know. On the throw. I don't know. That's they pretty said, good. Uh, the people who were at whatever this was, an event, I should have gone looking for some additional information on this, but it was estimated that in order to go for 445 feet, they estimated that when the ball left his hand, it was traveling at 120 miles an hour. Wow. 120 miles an hour. You can't run a car like that mm -hmm. without killing yourself. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's the story and I'm sticking to it. Perfect. 120 mile an hour pitch. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Oh right. my goodness. It doesn't say what position he played either. It had to be an outfield probably. Might have to be with an arm like that. Mm -hmm. He'd kill somebody <laughs> any other any other position. He'd oh. kill him. My goodness. Okay, what else? We got two more left. Two more. Brain teaser and your presidential question. We don't have a Stump Walden? Oh, I did that with the um, 1946 movie. Oh, okay. My brain teaser. Your brain teaser. What building has the most stories? The library. Oh, jeez, you're good. You haven't missed one of them in... A few weeks. Months. Months. <laughs> Okay, I have to break your brain next week. I know. <laughs> I'm really going to do you a cranium cracker. I'm going to break your brain next week. I'm going to look for the most ludicrous thing. So, and you're going to get on So, boo-boo, I was okay with that? 
you were really good. Okay. <laughs> and you just came, you didn't even think about that. Nope. I was in Patricia mode. Mm-hmm. You're so lovable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now we're down to your presidential question. Mm-hmm. Who had been the president, as we're talking about a job before he became president. Yeah. Who who had been the president of Columbia University for a short time before he became president of the United States? Dwight D. Eisenhower. How did you know that? I just seem to remember that. But how did you know that? I seem to remember seeing that in the biography. Oh, dear me. I mean, I seem yeah. to remember... Um, because, you, know, you know, a lot of people wanted him to run for the White House pretty quick in 48, and I think he decided not to, and that's when he went to be the president. And I think I remember hearing that somewhere. Uh, I said after, after the war, he became president of Columbia University, then took a leave of absence from there mm. to assume supreme command over the NATO forces, being assembled in 1951. Wow. Republican emissaries to his headquarters near Paris persuaded him to do the bid for president uh, in the 1952 race. I never knew he went back to uh, the, the military like that or, or assumed more responsibility. That's, pr- that's, that's pretty well, good. That's what, that's what it's... I got this from the White House site. Mm. So I'm, they would know. I'm guessing... Uh, I'm hoping that they they did this right. Yeah, yeah. They should know, huh? I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is the White House. <laughs> it's not dot .com, it's dot .gov. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um, oh, dear me, that was quite a sight. I checked it out while you guys were talking. And? And it looks pretty official, and it's got stuff on the left-hand column that matches up with pages that are on the regular site, like a White House Christmas uh-huh. and biography and history. And every uh-huh. time you click on one of these, this whole list of where you can find girls, like 10,000 in China and 4,000 in Taiwan. and <sighs> That's not supposed to happen. I don't think so. Tell me how come the White House hasn't done something about know. this. I don't know. They really should. They really should be able to. I wonder if it's one of those sham sites that will give you a, a site to click on and it actually goes to some other place uh-huh. and every time it's closed down, they would just open up a new address. Makes sense, yep. yep. Wow. Boy, is that spooky. Yep. That really is spooky. Well, boy, you did...